where all of that is. Uh, this morning, we're in week three of a series that we are going through the entire summer where we're just looking simply at the stories that Jesus told. We're calling this series, Tell Me a Story. And we know that Jesus was a master storyteller. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see over and over and over again where Jesus just stops and he tells a story. We call the stories that Jesus told parables. And a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. And of course, Jesus is trying to help people understand. He would tell these stories to try and help people understand that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the relationship that I've come to have with you is like. And so the story that I want to look at this morning is found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can turn there. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus deals with one of the most important issues of the human experience. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Matthew tells us about this time when Peter comes to Jesus and he raises this massive issue. In fact, this is an issue that every person in this room, every person who's worshiping with us online has wrestled with at some point in times in their life or another. Peter asked this question. He says, Jesus, if somebody sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Now, in Jewish tradition, Peter would have been taught that if someone sins against you, you are obligated to forgive them three times, which is kind of still popular belief, right? That's why we have sayings like three strikes and you're out, right? Some of us don't even forgive three times because we say things like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, and you know, you're out of luck, buddy. And so this is kind of popular belief. This is what they believed in the time. In fact, the system was set up that three times somebody sinned against you, three times you're obligated to forgive. And so Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know, you keep talking about all of this sin stuff, all of this forgiveness stuff, and, and I know what the other rabbis teach, and I know what everybody else thinks, but what I want to know is what do you say about this issue? How many times do I have to forgive people when they sin against me? Which, come on, is a really practical question. One that every single one of us have had to deal with at some point in time in our lives because the reality is that every single one of us have been hurt, every single one of us have been taken advantage of, every single one of us have had to deal with this issue of, of forgiveness, the decision, am I going to forgive or not? In fact, if, if we are honest this morning, some of us, would have to admit that the moment this topic comes up, the moment we start talk, talking about forgiveness, there is a name or a face that pops into your minds, right? It's true because this is something that every single one of us at some point in our, our lives have had to deal with. We've been neglected or abused or betrayed and we've had to deal with this issue of forgiveness. And so Peter asked this question that all of us ought to have asked in our lives or have asked in our lives. How many times do I have to forgive? And what I love about Peter is, you know, if you know anything about Peter, if you read through the Gospels, you know, Peter, he's just kind of Peter. He's one of those guys who he talks before he thinks. He might 
my kind of guy, kind of like Pastor Brad talking before he thinks about talking about Pastor Doug and all that kind of, just that kind of a guy. And so Peter goes ahead and he answers his own question. He, he's been hanging out with Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I kind of know how you operate. I know that you have higher expectations than all of the other rabbis. And I know that you're way more loving and you're way more kind. And, and so Peter, in his own mind, he's like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what they say, double it and add one. Seven. That's a good number. That's a good, holy, biblical number. Jesus, how about seven times? And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, no, not seven. How about 70 times seven? Which if you do the math is 490 times. And what we need to understand this morning, that what Jesus is not saying is, you know, he's not saying, again, if Brad does something against me, that what I do is I put his picture on my refrigerator along with my checklist, and I start marking them off, one, two, three, four, and you know, I get to 490, you're okay, Brad, but I get to 491, sorry, bro, you're on your own. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying. The point that Jesus is trying to make is it's an infinite amount of times. In fact, in some of your Bibles, instead of 70 times 7, you may see the language where it says 77 times, which in the ancient Jewish way of thinking, 77 times actually means times without a number, or a number without an end. It's an infinite amount of times. And so this is what Jesus is saying. This is how many times we have to forgive. And come on, again, forgiveness, man, it is a massive issue for all of us. In fact, as I was thinking about this this last week, uh, immediately my mind went back to a few years ago. This was way before I was involved in full-time ministry. We were living in Kansas City, and I had gone into business with a friend of mine that I had met at the church we attended at the time. And uh, we started a roofing company together. I had about 15 years at that time of of roofing experience under my belt. And he had never actually roofed before, but he had worked for a, a construction supply place. And so he had a really good knowledge of product and things like that. And so we, we partnered together and we started this business together. And, and I don't remember exactly what year it was. I think it was somewhere around 2001. But there was this massive hailstorm that hit Kearney. Some of you guys may remember this, but my parents were living there at the time. and They, they had hailstones that were like softball-sized hail and bigger. And there were some places where the hailstones went not only through the sheeting on the roof, but through the attic and through the sheetrock in the ceiling and landed on people's dining room tables and you know damaged furniture and stuff like that it was a horrible hailstorm and pretty much every roof in the entire city of Kearney was destroyed and since my parents lived there and they knew a lot of people and I had grown up there and I knew a lot of people still we decided you know why don't we take some crews from Kansas City to Kearney and we'll spend some time roofing in Kearney and we wound up spending the entire summer there put put roofs on all over Kearney And, and that summer We made a lot of money. 
I, I mean, it, up, up, up to this point in time in my life, in those three months, I made more money in those three months than I had made an entire year up, up to that point in time. And so we made a lot of money, enough money to really build a solid foundation for the company. And, and, and honestly, most of that came about through my parents' connections, my connections, and we really built this solid base for the company. And, and when we went back to Kansas City, I mean, the summer was long, and we were away for our, from our families for a good portion of that time, and we just wore out, and so we'd made enough money. We went back to Kansas City, and it wasn't long, just a couple of weeks, I think, after we had gotten back. One morning, I was blindsided when my partner told me that he had decided that he didn't want me to be involved in his business anymore. And it's a long story, and so I won't go into all the details, but the, in, the bottom line is that in my uh, naivety, I had trusted him, and our partnership was really based on a handshake and an agreement, and uh, I didn't realize that he, in the meantime, had gone and uh, had, had um, incorporated the company and put himself in charge, and so ultimately, I was forced out of the business, and, and he also... Uh, happened to withhold a bunch of money from the work that we had done in Kearney. And to this day, I don't even know how much money it was. I just know it was a lot of money. And so all of a sudden, I had lost my half of the business. I was cheated financially. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I do now? How do I take care of my family? And, and, and at the same time, you know how social media works. Every time I get on social media, I see pictures of my ex-partner living the dream. I mean, you know, he's buying brand new cars and new uh, motorcycles and wave runners and he's taking ex expensive vacations. And in fact, just a few years later, he winds up selling the business for I don't know how much money. All I know is it was enough for him to retire in his 40s in Hawaii. And so I share that with you to say this, that there were a number of years where the issue of forgiveness was the issue on the table for me. And the truth is that, you know, um, Jesus knew better than anyone else that this would be an issue for all of us, that all of us would have to deal with this. And so in order to help us, Jesus does what he typically does. He just tells a story. And, and he tells this in verse 23. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it's, it's, it's kind of like a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle those accounts, one of these servants was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which means absolutely nothing to us. But in the world that Jesus lived in, they would understand that a talent was the highest unit of currency. And 10,000 was the largest Greek number that they had at the time. And so when Jesus throws out this number of 10,000 talents, what he's saying is, is just think about the amount of debt that this guy owes is the largest monetary amount that you can think of. Just think of the largest account. In fact, one scholar that I read said that, he said, you know, when you think about this, don't think in millions, don't even think in billions, but rather think zillions with a Z, zillions of dollars. The point is that this servant had accumulated so much debt that there was no 
possible way, no matter what he did with his own efforts, there was no way that he could ever repay this debt. You see, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that we're in the same place. It sounds familiar, right? So in verse 25, he says this, And since the servant could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Now, this is weird to us. It's foreign to us. This was the practice of the day when somebody owed you a bunch of money. If they couldn't repay it, you could have them sold and you could recoup at least a portion of that by selling them into servitude. And so this is what the master does. And when the, when the servant hears this in verse 26, it says, he falls on his knees and he implores his master, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. He can't repay him everything he has no ability to repay everything but in verse 27 Jesus says that out of pity for him the master of that servant released him he showed him mercy he 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 forgave his debt and so when the people who Jesus was telling this story to when they would have heard this they would have thought wow what mercy I mean what generosity what what mercy it's unfathomable And Jesus says, guys, what you need to understand is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that just like the servant in this story who owes a zillion dollar debt and has absolutely no hope of ever being able to repay it, that you and I, because of our sin, spiritually speaking, we are in the exact same position. We have a zillion dollar sin debt. Or better yet, there's a zillion mile chasm between us and God. And no matter what we do, with all of our efforts, our best efforts, no matter what we do, we stand absolutely no chance of ever getting to God on our own. There is no way for us to cross the chasm but for the cross. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, and you can use whatever analogy you want, he paid our debt, he created a bridge that connected us to God. The bottom line is that like the master in this story, even though you and I, we didn't deserve it, we, through our own choices, have all incurred our own zillion dollar sin debt, and yet Jesus showed us mercy And like the master in this story, he extended us mercy. He forgave our debt through the cross. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid our debt. And and then what's really strange is because the story gets really interesting at this point in time is in verse 28, it says that then when this same servant, this servant who has been forgiven this zillion dollar debt, he goes out, it says that he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he begins to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant does exactly what he had done. He falls down on his knees and he pleads with them, have patience with me, I'll do my best, I'll pay you back. And in verse 30 it says, rather than showing the same mercy that he's just been shown, it says he refused and he went and he put this man in prison until he should pay the debt. How are you gonna pay a debt when you're in prison and you can't work? Now, 
when Jesus' original hearers would have heard Jesus tell this story, more than likely, they would have had the same thought that you and I at least ought to have. This is absolutely crazy. I mean, how could this guy do this? I mean, here this servant is, and he's been forgiven a zillion-dollar debt, and what's the first thing on his mind? It's not, wow, I've been forgiven for so much that I need to forgive other people as well. No. Instead, it says, the first thing on his mind is he goes out and he finds. In other words, he intentionally looks for this guy. He goes out and finds so-and-so who owes me such-and-such because he needs to pay. And what makes this so crazy is that Jesus says that what he was owed was a hundred denarii, which again, I know doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but a denarii or a denarius is equal to about a day's wages, and so just think in terms of our current context, let's say you make 20 bucks an hour. That's, if you work eight hours a day, $160 a day. And so 100 denarii would be roughly around $16,000 in today's economy. Which, come on, that's a significant amount of money. However, it's nothing compared to a zillion dollars. And so the intent of this ridiculous, exaggerated story is that what Jesus wants is he wants for us to react the same way the fellow servants do in the story. In verse 31, Jesus says that when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. In other words, they're like, what? This is crazy. How could you do this? You've been forgiven of all this, and now you're going to do this. They are greatly distressed. And so they go back, and they report to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32, Jesus says that the master then summons this first servant and says to him, you wicked servant, here I forgave you all of the debt that you had because you pleaded with me and I had mercy on you. And you, uh, and, should, and, and should not you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, Jesus says, his master delivered him unto the jailer until he should pay all of his debt. And then in verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, forgiveness is such a major part of the human experience. Why why is it so hard to forgive? I, I think the obvious answer is because, you know, when it comes to our own sin, man, we are all about mercy. I mean, we, we understand there are extenuating circumstances. I was in a weak moment. I was tired and I didn't know any better. And, you know, they did this to push my buttons. And there are all these reasons. And so we want mercy. And yet, when it comes to the sins of other people, all of the sudden we develop this deep longing, not for mercy, but instead for justice. They did me wrong and they need to pay. And I think one of the takeaways from this story and what Jesus is trying to help Peter understand and he's also trying to help us understand is that, first of all, forgiveness is our job. 
Justice, on the other hand, is God's job. Your job is forgiveness. My job is forgiveness. God's job is justice. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the wheat and the weeds. But, but I'm telling you, we need to be so thankful that God is not only just, but we need to be thankful that God is extremely patient. You see, if God would have enacted his justice on each of us immediately, there is not one single person in this room or watching online that would have stood a chance, including myself. Justice will come. The story says that there will be a day of justice, but God is a patient God because his desire is that none would perish and that all would come into salvation. And so we're thankful for justice, and, and this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand, that, that, that justice will come, but you need to leave that to me. Your job is to forgive. And the question is, well, Jesus, okay, how many times? Well, how many times do you want him to forgive you? I don't know about you, but what I want is however many it takes. That's what I want, however many it takes. Uh, you see, I think the big reason that it's hard for some of us to truly forgive is because for many of us, we've held on to the wrong idea of what forgiveness really is. And, and so what I want to do as we kind of uh, lead towards the close and the rest of our time together is I, I, wanna, I just want to get really practical here. We've talked theoretically a little bit. Now let's get really practical. And, and I want to give you just six things that forgiveness is not, that will maybe help us understand what true forgiveness is, okay? So the first one is this. Understand that forgiveness is not denying the pain. For, for some reason, some people think that in order to forgive, what you have to do is you gotta pretend like it didn't hurt. And come on, guys, we're the worst. Men, we're the worst, right? Because we don't wanna admit that we were hurt in any way. But, but here's the deal. If it didn't hurt, you wouldn't need to forgive, right? The reason you need to forgive is because it hurt. The reason you need to forgive is because somebody did something that hurt you, it wounded you. That's why you need to forgive. And so forgiveness is not denying the pain. Number two, forgiveness is not condoning wrong behavior. This is such a big one. I mean, how many times when somebody comes and apologizes to us is, is our tendency to simply respond like, it's okay? No, it's not okay. It is, it's not okay. If it were okay, again, there would be no need to apologize. Listen, what we need to understand is when we sin, what God does is he doesn't say, oh, it's okay. No. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. That's not okay. God calls sin what it is. It's sin. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It's wrong. And we have to confess that. But when we do, we've been given a promise that if you confess your sins, he'll do what? He'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. It's not okay. And so instead of saying, you know, it's okay, or another one is like, no worries. It's perfectly okay to say, yes, what you did hurt. Thanks for acknowledging that. I appreciate you apologizing for it, and I forgive you. You see the difference? You see, what, what it's okay really communicates is 
it's okay for you to do it again. That's what that communicates. All right, number three. Forgiveness is not only not denying the pain, not condoning wrong behavior, but forgiveness is not trusting simply in the passage of time. That, that whole saying, you know, time heals all wounds, that is the biggest myth. The passage of time doesn't make things better. In fact, if I were a betting man, I think a pretty safe bet this morning would be that there is somebody right here in this room, somebody who is watching online, who someone did something to you 10, 20, 30 years ago. And the truth is, you're still holding on to it. And it still hurts. You're still just as much a victim today as you were then. And the reality is that time in and of itself has done absolutely nothing to heal the pain. So if you're thinking, you know, maybe if I just give it time. I hate to break it to you, but all time does is time simply turns unforgiveness into bitterness and bitterness will absolutely kill you. Number four, forgiveness, this is a tough one. Forgiveness is not a mandate to reestablish the relationship. That's a hard one. Especially for those of us who, who love Jesus and want to honor Jesus, which hopefully that's all of us. But, but here's the reality. When somebody hurts you deeply over and over and over again, while God does expect for you to forgive, what he doesn't expect is for you to continue in, a, in an abusive relationship. In other words, it's not only perfectly okay, but it's healthy to develop boundaries with people who are determined to hurt you. You gotta forgive, but boundaries are okay. And here's the deal, the ultimate desire is always the healing of the relationship. However, this is the difficult reality. Relational healing always requires the commitment of two parties. And the truth is, if a person who has wounded you is unrepentant, and again, we talk about this all the time, that to repent simply means I'm doing this or heading this direction, and to repent means I'm going to turn and I'm going to go a different direction. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's our commitment in repenting. And so if a person is, is, is not committed to repentance, if they're not committed to finding forgiveness on their own, then forgiveness does not mean that you have to continue to put yourself in a position where you continue to be hurt. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that if possible, he says, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Just live peaceably with all people, if possible, so far as it depends on you. In other words, we have to understand that sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with some people. Sometimes uh, we can do everything that we can do as it depends on us and it's not possible because it also depends upon them. And so forgiveness is not a mandate to reestablish the relationship. Number five, forgiveness it neither is dependent upon an apology. In other words, we don't have to wait for the person who hurt us to apologize in order for us to forgive them. If that were the case, then there are some people 
who we'd never have the opportunity to forgive. And we'd have to carry that hurt around with us for the rest of our lives, that we'd be bound to that hurt forever. And, and who wants that? Who, who wants to give somebody else? This is, this is really what it boils down to, is who wants to give somebody else that kind of power over us? So we don't have to wait. We can just forgive. Number six, forgiveness is not a feeling. I was going to say forgiveness is more than a feeling, but then I'd be tempted to sing that song, Jeff, because I know you like that old rock stuff, man, classic rock, more than a feeling, remember that? Jeff and I are the only ones, apparently. So, <laughs> Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Listen, if you, if you wait for the feeling, chances are you might be waiting forever. Because the reality is the feeling is hurt. The, the feeling is pain. And so forgiveness is not a feeling. What forgiveness is, is it's simply an act of the will. It's also an act of obedience. Jesus said we have to forgive. And so it's an act of obedience. And, and, and really, as far as an act of the will, what it is, is it's choosing. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to choose to do, do this because I understand that there's never a time that I'm more like Jesus than when I forgive other people. We want to be like Jesus. We can clap for Jesus in church. We clap for anything. We ought to clap for that. And so... If those things are what forgiveness is not, then what is real forgiveness? Let, let me give you four things that I think are part of the process of forgiving, okay? Number, number one is this, is you have to begin by being willing to reveal the hurt. Here's the deal. You cannot forgive what you will not admit. I think it was Rick Warren who once said that there is no closure without disclosure. And so in order to truly forgive, we have to begin by disclosing this was what was done and it hurt me. So, so we reveal the hurt. Number two, oh, and this is a tough one, is we release the offender. In other words, what we're doing is we let go of our need or our desire for whoever hurt us to pay for what they did, for them to get theirs. It's not our responsibility anymore. Justice is God's job. And so when we give our lives to Jesus, we trust him with everything, including all of our hurts. And so it's not our job, it's his job. And it's between, really, it's between them and God. And again, we need to understand that what we're not doing is, we're not saying that what they did was okay. What we're doing is we're simply letting go of our need for them to pay. And here's the deal, is that what happens is, is when we hold on to our need for justice, for them to pay for what they did, what we're really doing is we are actually chaining ourselves to the offense or to the hurt. 
And, and what happens is, is the person who, who is imprisoned by what was done is not them. The person who is imprisoned by our unforgiveness is not them. Most of the time, they've moved on with their life. They're doing their thing. The person who's imprisoned is us. And so what happens is, this is why this is so important, when we release whoever has hurt us, it's really less about their freedom, that's between them and God, and it's way more about our freedom. The only way we can be free is to release them to God. Number three, once we've released the offender, then we can receive God's peace. Well, once we embrace that it's not our job to settle the score and we're, we're going to trust, you know, God can handle this better than we can, then we're ready to do what the Bible talks about when it says we can let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We, we, we got to release the unforgiveness that is ruling in our hearts in order to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Because here's the deal. You can't do both. There can only be one ruler. Can't have two rulers. And so you can't be focused on how much you want that person to pay that hurts you and get what's coming to them and have peace at the same time. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of like this. I can never grab hold of what I need while I'm too busy holding on to something else. I have to let go in order to grab hold of something else. And so I reveal the hurt. I release the offender, I receive God's peace, and then the last one, I repeat as often as necessary. I think one of the reasons why, when asked, how many times do you have to forgive? The reason why Jesus said an infinite number of times is because oftentimes forgiveness is not just a one-time occurrence. He knew, Jesus knew that we have an enemy who, who, who wants more than anything to keep us imprisoned. He wants to keep us enslaved. And he knows that one of the easiest ways to do that is through the trap of unforgiveness. And so even after we've initially revealed the hurt, released the offender, received God's peace, the enemy doesn't want us to live in that space of freedom. And so what he'll do is he'll bring it all up again. I, I, it was crazy. I mean, all this stuff that happened to, was like 20 years ago. And the moment I started to think about it again, guess what happened? All of a sudden, in my heart, my, that hurt came back, that woundedness came back, that thought of, man, he really took advantage of you. And I had to sit in my office and do exactly this. Like, no, yeah, it did hurt, but I'm not going to hold him. I, I want what's best for him. I'm not going to hold him captive to this. I'm going to release him. God, I need your peace in this. I don't want to pick that up and carry it again. We got to repeat that as often as possible because the enemy will flood our hearts with the hurt. And in that moment, we'll have a choice. Am I willing to let go of the peace in order to grab hold of the pain? Or do I want peace? more than I want pain. Reveal, release, receive, repeat. In the beginning, we may have to do that every day. Maybe multiple times a day. Reveal, release, receive, repeat. Reveal, release, receive, repeat. And eventually, we'll be free.
That's really what we all want, right? I mean, who wants to be permanently tied to a hurt? You see, what this story is trying to help us understand is that not only our freedom, but our own forgiveness is tied to our willingness to forgive other people. In fact, I want to just share this illustration with you, and I'm going to invite the band to come. Brad, come help me. I told you you'd pay later. (laughs) I think the best way to illustrate what we're talking about this morning is we didn't practice this, so my money's on you, though. (laughs) Now, what I want you to do, turn and face everybody. What I want you to do is I want you to just take the deepest breath you can possibly take. I mean, just breathe in as much air as you, I'm not gonna punch you in the gut. He's looking at me like, I'm gonna breathe in and you're gonna punch me, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> We're gonna practice forgiveness here. Right. I, want you to, I want you to breathe in as much air as you can and hold it. You got it? Hold it. All right, breathe in some more. Hold it. Yeah, bre- <laughs> <laughs> can't do it, can I'll you? Try again. <laughs> well, you can't do it, can you? The only way to bring, breathe more in, air in is to what? You've got to breathe it out. You see, this is what forgiveness is like. It's the very thing that we need most to live and survive. We can never breathe it in unless we're willing to breathe it out. Thanks, you can go sit down. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. And I don't know, there may be somebody here this morning and Again, as we were talking today and with this topic of forgiveness pops up, there might be somebody who pops into your mind. Maybe somebody that you thought you had forgiven. And there's a wave of hurt that comes rushing in again today. I want to just encourage you this morning. Would you be willing to let it go? Release it to Jesus? Trust him that if he loves you, he'll take care of all of that? (laughs) And understand that Man, if he's been willing to take what you've done and nail it to the cross and forgive you, then why shouldn't we? How couldn't we do that for other people? How couldn't we do that? This morning, there may be some here who really the person that you're having trouble forgiving is yourself. You know, you've blown it. And what you really need more than anything else is you need the healing and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Here in this room, I want to just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Those who are watching online, I want to encourage you to just get in kind of a posture of prayer. And if you're here this morning and you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, man, this is your morning. <laughs> he brought you here for this. Loves you so much that he'd get you out of bed and he'd bring you to this church on a Sunday morning simply to hear that Jesus is the kind of God who doesn't want to hold your sins against you. He he sent his son to give his life for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, to pay your debt, to bridge the gap. And so this morning, if you want to receive that, I just want to invite you in the quietness of your heart to just pray this prayer. Jesus, I recognize this morning that I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've made mistakes. 
but I've also made decisions. I've done things that have hurt myself and have hurt other people. And this morning, I acknowledge that. I confess it. And I also confess that I need you, that I recognize that I can try and be as good as I can possibly be. And it's still not enough. I need a savior. So this morning, I receive your forgiveness. I invite you into my life. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I pray that you would begin to heal me and restore me. I repent. I want to turn and go a different direction. And I confess that I can't even do that on my own. I need you to help me. And so I ask that you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you're watching online, would you just let Amy know? Would you just let her know? Say, hey, I did it. I prayed that prayer today. If you're here in this room, if you'd grab one of the pastors, Pastor Brad or myself or uh, Pastor Brian after the service, we'd love to, if you don't have a Bible, make sure you have one. We've got some great little devotionals that are kind of for, your, for your, the beginning of your journey, and we want to get one of those in your hands. But we just want to walk with you. We want to celebrate what God has done and walk with you. And, and as we close this morning, I think, you know, there, the, there's no greater reminder of the forgiveness that we have been given. A zillion dollar forgiveness. And when we receive communion together. And every time we do that, we're reminded that Jesus paid the ultimate price to pay our debt. That he shed his blood his body was broken for us. And so we're going to close this morning by doing that, remembering what Jesus has done for us and receiving communion together. And, and I, I want to tell you, before the guys come, we're going to distribute the elements. But in order to receive communion, you don't have to be a member of the church. There's only one requirement that you have prayed the prayer that we just prayed a few minutes ago and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, the forgiver of your sins. If you've done that, then you can participate this morning. And so we encourage you to do that. And so we're going to invite the guys to come and they're going to distribute the elements. They're a little plastic cup and on the bottom there's a tab where the, the bread is. It's all gluten-free. And then there's a tab on the top where the juice is. We'll ask you to hold those until after it's all been distributed. And then we'll receive those together. And as they do, the band's going to play. And I encourage you to just spend a moment giving thanks for the forgiveness, forgiveness that you have received, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples together in the upper room. When they were all together, he took a piece of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this bread is a symbol of my body that is going to be broken for you. Take and eat of it and every time you do, do it in remembrance of me. So this morning, as we take this bread, which is symbolic of Christ's body that was broken for us, 
We do it in, in remembrance of the incredible price, the incredible mercy that he showed for us. I invite you to do that as you take a breath. And at the same time, he took the cup. And he blessed it. And he gave it to them. And he said, this cup, it's the cup of a new covenant, a brand new arrangement, an arrangement that's not based on what you can do, but an arrangement based on what I'm about to do for you. And he said, take and drink of this cup. It's symbolic of my blood. And every time you do, remember my blood that was shed for you. And so we invite you to remember Christ's blood that was shed for you as you partake of the cup this morning. Father, this morning as we come before you, we give thanks for really a love that is too deep for us to fully comprehend. To think of the kind of love that was willing to send what was most precious to you, to the cross, your very son. That's how much you loved us. And Jesus, to think of the fact that you said that nobody takes my life, I lay it down willingly, that you willingly gave up your life in order to pay our debt, in order to bridge the gap. Without you, we have no hope. But with you, we have no fear. And so we thank you today that your reminder is that you are with us and you are for us. And you demonstrated that in such a tangible way. And so today, Lord, we give ourselves to you in the same way that you gave yourself to us. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.